Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of the Whiskey Hour podcast. I'm Ali, one of the co-hosts, and I'm sitting here with my other co-host. How's, how's it going, Ugna? Hello, hello. I'm the other co-host of the previous co-host. <laughs> my name is Ugna, and we are here today with a very special guest. Yes, we have our first guest on the yay. Whiskey Hour podcast. So, Yay! Everybody, please put your hands together in welcoming Helena. How's it going over there? Hi, everybody. I'm good. Thank you. Been getting used to everything, I guess. <laughs> so, Helena, I have to know, what is your favorite drink? Ooh, good one. Ah, I'm a rum Think girl. wisely. What? Yeah, rum what? girl through and through. Um, shut the shit down. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> It's a whiskey hour podcast, damn it. I'm, I don't think I'm drunk enough for this. My brain is not comprehending this. <laughs> Somebody on the whiskey hour podcast saying the favorite drink is rum. But uh, I do have to ask you, which rum particularly is your favorite? Not even because of the taste, just the nostalgic feeling of like Captain Morgan. Mm. Like us sitting at beach parties and Captain Morgan used to have this bottle like a barrel I was obsessed with that I would hunt that down even if it would be empty and I just wanted that bottle no idea why wait <laughs> wh where was that was that in the Netherlands no um in Germany uh yeah I'm from a very small village right out at on the Baltic coast um yay yes, a Baltic girl Baltic girls here <laughs> thank you support <laughs> but I'm only born here only born, not raised, uh, raised in the United States, uh, went back to Germany, lived in Spain, and then eventually made my way to the Netherlands. Ooh, all worldly kids. Yeah, so uh, you fit right in with the, uh, with the people who've lived in different parts of the world on this podcast. Yeah, you guys are my drunk fish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, tell me, Helena. Mm -hmm. What would you like um, to know? Did you get to the Netherlands? How did I get to the Netherlands? I I guess in Spain, like, okay, no, a little bit back pedal. So I uh, finished high school in Germany and I really thought, maybe it's because I saw too many thrillers as a kid. I just would like go to police academy, I guess. It's also a study. I even went to the German CIA to take uh, like an entry level test. And I was sitting there, I was like, I don't want to do this and like, until I'm 80 years Wait, old. Wait, did you say German CIA? Yeah, like the German CIA. It's like the BND. And they have an entry-level test. Like, yeah, everybody can apply. And then you you go and you have to turn, like, cubes in your head. And uh, it's 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 really, it's it's a weird collection of tests. And I, funnily enough, I failed because of German grammar. Because <laughs> <laughs> I spent four years in the States. And I um, also, I didn't just go to... Um, a German private school. I mean, I did in the beginning. I switched, though, to the American high school, the public school system. And yeah, just, I guess I lost track of my own native language. Welcome the to the club. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, if I, um, I think I was, I was making a meme the other day of, uh, of my niece and I misspelled something because I was trying to make the meme in Farsi and I misspelled something, and my sisters and my mom started to give me so much shit for it. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the club of people who forgot their own native language. <laughs> I mean, guys, I forgot my native language when I was still in the country. <laughs> 
I still remember going in there and trying to speak in Lithuanian or write it. And everybody was making fun of me. Wait, your native tongue isn't Russian? <laughs> it is not Russian. It is Ways not. to piss Ukna off. <laughs> it is not Russian. And that explains a lot why I'm drinking whiskey and not vodka today. No, but Ukna, I can top this. I don't even speak German with my own family. Like every time I, when I'm home, my mom is like, your brother is American. Speak English to him. <laughs> so like your brother was born... In America. In America. So he has the he has the pleasure or the curse of <laughs> a second passport. Um, oh, an American wanted that. Yeah. So oh. he's going to pay American taxes probably. Lucky him. So wait. So you went to U.S. when you were how old? 11. 11. Yeah. And, and how long were you there for? Four years. Oh, that's a majority of your lifetime. Yeah, actually. it really it really shaped my my worldview, and it really, I think, when I came back from the U.S., I knew I couldn't stay in the same village, you know, where I was, where I grew up in. I just, it really sparked that that enjoyment of going and seeing new places and meeting, meeting new people with different backgrounds and just different perspectives on everything. Um, which part of uh, which part of the U.S. were you guys based in? Um, and actually, what took you guys to the to America? Yeah, so uh, we went there with the military. My dad was working for the NATO there, representing Germany, I guess. And I don't know. And I and guess means it's confidential. <laughs> well, respect. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> no, but we were living uh, in McLean, Virginia. Um, funny f- or fun fact to that is 10 minutes away from the American CIA headquarters, Langley. Wow, CIA has really been like... An integral part of your life. <laughs> you could say that. And now I would say I'm I'm in between. I'm in, in between places, jobs, just everything. I guess alcohol as well. <laughs> From rum to whiskey. <laughs> we, uh, we're hoping that the uh, by the end of this Whiskey Hour podcast, we're going to turn you into a whiskey drinker. You guys have already done that. <laughs> Every time on the this balcony. Is, um, now we have an office. It's an upgrade. I mean, I'm I'm very much in favor of it. Well, why don't we uh, raise a glass to our guest, our first guest on the Whiskey Owl podcast. Cheers. 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 Um, Majority of your life, you actually developed and hit puberty in the U.S. I love puberty being an integral moment in that. I mean, it is. It really is. (laughs) Like... I know this is a weird thing to bring up immediately, but let's talk about sexual education. Like the difference between that in Europe and in America was mind blowing to me. Wait, okay, so I'm actually quite interested in this because I didn't have sex ed um, probably ever. um, Okay, what do you understand under sex ed is, I guess. What? Like, what do you understand under sex ed? Um, The thing is, like, I, I, oh, God. I had a little bit of sex ed in Iran, which uh, which was weird, which was very strange because it was given to us by our Islamic studies teacher. So it was just a really weird thing. But um, what do you mean? Like it's sort of being um, difference um, between America and in Europe. So first of all, I think girls and guys should have sex ed together. Like in, in America, they split they Wait, what? Sp- they split girls and guys. Yeah, in Lithuania they split as well. I mean, we get split from like school. 
in Iran. So like, you know. Oh. Yeah. We just go to different schools. Okay. No, we, yeah, like, um, from our, where I'm from, we go there together and I received sex ed in fifth grade and we were split. But then again, it wasn't much of a sex ed. It's more, it was more of an educational class about periods. Yeah, but that's a really good point to make because sex ed is, you know, understood as in America, at least it was like how to just not have sex, like watch this birth video, be scared, be shocked and please just don't do it. And I don't know. I mean, in the German school system, they they also did the educational stuff. But then um, because everybody was together, we just talked among each other and like especially locker room talk. Like, mm. Utna, can you relate to girl locker room talk? especially in puberty. Okay, what do you mean by locker room talk? <laughs> okay, not to give away too much, but I guess... No, please give away a lot. This is whiskey okay. hour. <laughs> like your first orgasm. Like that's kind of, that's what we would talk in, in the locker room. I cannot what... relate to that at all. Um, uh, again, I'm probably not the best person to have... <laughs> For this, as a, you know, but most of my friends, as weird as it sounds, we are quite literally the outcasts. We are very cool together. And um, honestly, some of the people are the nicest ones I've, I've ever met. And we're very much driven by reaching a certain point in, in career and our own passions but we were never the bad kids, weirdly enough. We were never the ones to talk about um, the controversial topics. The taboo stuff. Yeah, never. Well, I don't know if that makes you a bad kid or not, because most of the girls I would actually talk to weren't the ones who were sleeping around with guys. You know, they were actually too shy. Mm. So I was like, well, have you, you know, have you tried it on yourself? Have you figured out what makes you feel good? I, w I think I've been the enabler. For a lot of my friends. So, oh, so you, you were the were... one who made everybody feel uncomfortable. I made everybody masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the influence. But you no, know, I think Ali had a point. There is something weird, like a weird pleasure I get out of just, uh, yeah, making people red. I guess it's because I'm so white and turn into <clears throat> a tomato so easily. I want to see it on other people. I want to make other people very uncomfortable. I enjoy that. But, um, but I think like there's something quite interesting when you sort of um, I, I I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say force people to talk about things that they're not no. normally sort of you know accustomed to talking about. Just break down their walls a bit. I think that's maybe what where America influenced me yeah. because okay, my part of Germany. I'm from the old eastern part that was you know occupied by Russia, and um, they, we have naked beaches there. There the least prude people on earth and then i went to you know a very very catholic very suburban area um and we went to the public pool and and i think yeah we got in trouble because like my little baby brother didn't like my mom wasn't quick enough of changing his diaper or is very they've very very weird perception on of the naked body and and hiding i guess yeah hiding it Wait, what? Hang on a second. Your little brother was an infant. He was an you infant. Said diaper. Yeah. 
you guys got in trouble. What? What? Because that, yeah, wait, his little Willie was go out. Full story on this one. This is <laughs> this is interesting. Well, it's a collection of stories. Just because our we were just I don't, we grew up with it's it's your body. Uh, you don't have to be ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in America, that was different. It's just a different sense of privacy and um, I guess that other people wouldn't see a naked body even if it's an infant mm. and my you know breastfeeding um, especially my I remember that my mom always had to cover up and put a towel or a blanket over and I'm the oldest of four um, so that was also something different she would she never did that in Germany with, with my little sisters yeah it's a yeah. wow that's uh, that's a uh... Weird. I, I I don't know. Is it weird for you, Ugna? I mean, I'm the youngest sibling, so when it comes to so you never watch your mom breastfeed. I have never seen a child being breastfed. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I personally, I'm very much for like the normalizing of breastfeeding. I think, you know, for many of us women, it could be uncomfortable to, like, sit, you know, with our breast out. But you should have the choice, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to. Like, um, for me, I might not necessarily want to be all revealing, but it's my choice whether to be that or not. If I'm feeding a child... I mean, you know. I mean, there's nothing more natural than that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. But there was something that you said as uh, that's uh, probably even more interesting. It kind of relates to our previous episode that uh, Ugna and I talked about uh, sibling rivalries, and Ooh. yeah, well, the both of us are the youngest in the family. But uh, Helena, you're the oldest of the family. How is that different? Do you see a sort of a difference between you and your youngest sibling? I mean, I think that's it's interesting when you're four because everybody has a kind of distinct role. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as the oldest, you're often the responsible one. Kind of the I was like the second mom. Um, I would say I raised raised my siblings as well. Um, the kind of sandwich kids. So, like, wait, um, just to clear, um, how much older are you than your... Uh, my siblings? So, that's funny. My mom needed a bit more time every time. So, between me and my sister <laughs> are three years, then between her and my other sister are four, and then between her and my brother are five. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, how how much older are you than your, like, say, youngest sibling? Okay. 12 years. That means when my brother is 18... I'm 30, and Holy that crap. gives me, like, a minor panic attack. But I'm going to be the funnest person. I'm going to, you know, introduce him to alcohol. Yes. <laughs> I love the way that's, like, the first thing you think about as, like, the oldest. Um... It wasn't the first thing, but <laughs> we are living in the Netherlands. <laughs> Helena, you lived in a lot of different parts of the world. I did, yes. Um, you came to the Netherlands the same reason as Ugna did? Um, I mean, for my study, it was the best option to study in English. I mean, relating that back to the beginning, you know, when I was doing these police tests, I failed because of German grammar. It was kind of a sign for me that maybe studying in German wasn't the best (laughs) 
plan of action for me. <laughs> no, but that's that's um, that's the truth. And then Great Britain was way too expensive. Uh, I mean, America is just another notch. Well, it is the Great Britain. Just the great. It is. <laughs> it is great, but it's expensive for students. I would know for sure, considering I paid to study there as a non-EU. My bag and my family's bag broke yeah, for one imagine. year. But anyways, um, sorry, continue. Um, yeah, and then my family, my relatives or where my family's originally from is between the German-Dutch border. So I've always kind of felt like it was a second home. And I really remember distinctly my very first impression of when I stepped out in in a central station and I just stepped up with my big backpack um, knew already like kind of the hostel I didn't know where it was it was next to Gotemarkt which is in the Netherlands kind of this this really common um, in every city a student air place to meet with a lot of bars and restaurants so yeah I just had a feeling of of home of coming home wait um, was it so, was that in The Hague or it was in The Hague so I'm against right you traveled from Germany. At that time, were you living in Germany? I mean, I just basically, I came back from Spain, uh, where in Madrid, where I worked as an au pair for uh, a family, um, which are friends from the royal family. Like, they had the most insane place mm. at um, at this really, at this biggest, basically, shopping street in Madrid. They had a private church. Uh, they had just, the, they had like paintings from the 1600s and I was walking by, I was like shouldn't these be in a museum they're like no they're our ancestors I was like okay well so what brought you to the decision of becoming an au pair um I just wanted to leave <laughs> that seemed like the <laughs> and I, I love kids I like I said I you know with growing up with a lot of siblings, being the oldest um just taking care of kids seemed natural to me and yeah, it was the best option for me to just leave, uh, collect my thoughts because all my plans vanished once I realized that I didn't, I didn't want to continue the path, um, do uh, like go, getting into law. Mm. So you went from uh, growing up to Germany, moving to US. Mm -hmm. Then coming back to Germany. Finishing high school. Finishing high school. A gap year in Spain to collect my thoughts, figure out plan A, B, and C, because I'm still that German. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, and then I, I, I applied to to our study where I met Ukna. And basically just, I had a gut feeling about it. Something seemed right. Um, yeah, and that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then you went from all the way from being an au pair in Spain back to Germany for like, I'm guessing a just couple a couple of, days to a, a couple of days. Couple I was supposed to say a couple of you weeks could not wait months. to get out. I could couldn't you? wait. No, I was ready you to start my life as a student. Um, moved to my own apartment. Uh, my first place was above this illegal butcher shop. That was that was the most shocking experience because a lot of people told me that basically as an international student coming here around August, I was looking for a place in August, mm. you, you just have to take whatever you can get. Oh, yeah. And that was an 11 square uh, meter room. I took it. I also didn't find anything afterwards. 
So yeah, I got lucky. A lot of our friends um, lived in hostels. Wouldn't you agree? No. No? <laughs> no. My friends, okay. <laughs> you guys clearly had different group, friend, group of we friends. We did. Oh, first time when I got to the Netherlands, um, I was living with this old Dutch lady that was obsessed with painting. And by painting, I do not mean like paintings, drawings. She was painting her rooms and her house and her furniture. Um, I have like a suspicion that she was uh, going slightly crazy at that age. But, you know, so no, um, I had a house, like a room in a house that was nine square meters. Um, That's a lot of space to think. <laughs> that is a lot of space to think. I had even a desk and a bed in there. Whoa. Somehow. Yeah. Um, but no, most of my friends lived in uh, either studios or even in other cities because they couldn't actually find a place. However, it's not anything close to like difficulty in finding a place in like these days in the country. No, the uh, the housing market has been amazing. But anyway, so most of the people were living in hostels, you were saying? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, they were trying to find places together. Um, but a lot of, yeah, or in the student hotel where you mm -hmm. paid for a month to a very similar setup, a bed, maybe a kitchen. I think some of these rooms also had kitchens, um, but ex excruciating prices. Mm -hmm. A lot of our friends couldn't afford that. And that's why they went into hostels, slept on couches, um, yeah, the the housing market for students in the Netherlands is not fun. True, true. Okay, so, so the first time you came here, um, so you came straight to The Hague. I did. Because The Hague is one of the less internationally known cities in, uh, in the Netherlands. I mean, it's for, right between that triangle, right? Between Rotterdam, Amsterdam and Utrecht. I mean, for um, everybody listening, I would say The Hague is mostly meant for uh, international business. The NGOs. Also international court. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what The Hague is sort of known for is obviously peace, justice, and security with the International Criminal Court, International Court mm -hmm. of Justice, the Peace Palace and all that. Um, so there are a lot of NGOs and uh, multinational companies and stuff here. So like in comparison to some other cities um the hague is a home to uh peace justice and all the international relations i would say mm -hmm. yeah and i mean that's sort of uh, what the hague um has um but most people don't know it apart from like it's actually what's funny is uh if you go on twitter and if you search for the city of the hague or if you search for the hague you're going to end up with a lot of like tweets about send this particular person to The Hague for the International Criminal, Co Criminal <laughs> Court and stuff like that. But what most people know about the Netherlands, including myself, when they haven't lived here, is Amsterdam. Isn't that sometimes what you say to when, when you are abroad or, you know, when you were in Bolivia or a place like that and they ask, oh, where are you living now? Don't you often say Amsterdam just because that's the place that everybody knows in the Netherlands? With all the honesty, when I spoke to people, most of them asked me, um, can I, like, basically, have I been 
to Amsterdam or anything about like Amsterdam, you know, like the red light or Yeah, they always do that thing where they wink. Like, oh, Amsterdam. I know what you mean. I know what you're getting up to. (laughs) I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Exactly. But they never, most of them don't even know The Hague. No, I I think that's what makes this city very very interesting. But like um, Amsterdam, what was like sort of your first impression going to Amsterdam? Ooh, that's a good one. Because I don't think there was really one impression because I never really went there with a plan. It might have been something as boring as as work. It could have been work-related. Um, I don't really have that, like, well uh, impression because I don't think any of us went there as a tourist. It's much different if you're living in the Netherlands, I would say. I did, actually. But uh, I, I, I've been here, like, I, I came here as a tourist once. But I'll, we can get to that later. Ugna, what was your like sort of first impression about Amsterdam? Oh, um, when I first came to Amsterdam, um, went to Amsterdam, first I would have to note that it was not in any way uh, the first time I went there. Um, the first uh, year in the Netherlands, I mean. Uh, I think I went there in my second year of even being here. I never... Like, I really wanted to go there, but um, I it just wasn't on top of my priority list for some reason. Wait, so you were living in the Netherlands for a year and then you just didn't go to Amsterdam for a whole year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I was staying here for quite a bit and uh, I only went here because one of my friends came to visit me and I was like, well, I think it's time that we discover Amsterdam together. <laughs> I can relate. I have also a lot of international friends, and when they come here, they all want to see Amsterdam. I was like, okay, let's let's find out what we can do for free. I guess yeah. the botanical garden. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. Amsterdam is not the place to go if you're living in the Netherlands. It's like it's beautiful and it's pretty, and you have to visit it. But I think it's the mentality that once you get here, it's not. Something special anymore? It's more like something on your list, but it's not something you must see now and here. Mm. It's like you know you're going to have a chance to go to Amsterdam. Isn't it also when you have something so close that, you know, you you always know that it's there, but you don't really come to appreciate it? Like, how often have you gone to the beach? By the way, for those who don't know, The Hague has a very beautiful beach. But <laughs> because of the Dutch weather... <laughs> How many times have you gone to the beach, Ugna? Uh, I think the last time I've been to the beach was um, maybe two, three weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. During Corona? During Corona. It's actually yes. really nice. It's been really nice during the Corona because normally the beach is... Crowded. Is crowded as hell. Yeah. It's just swarms of people, especially when you get the sun, right? Because yeah. we, we get sunlight here for like two weeks a year. You know, (laughs) so when the sun just shows up, when the clouds open up a little bit and you get tiny rays of sun, then everybody just runs to the beach. And I and and when it's obviously the uh, the typical Dutch weather with the with the grayness and the uh, rain and the wind, it's just not pleasant to be on a beach. So I haven't been to the beach much either, except for the Corona time. I think Corona time really made the beach feel nice. So. Thanks, Corona.
I think for the most of people living here in The Hague and in the Netherlands in general, yeah, Amsterdam is the place you don't want to be, despite the yeah. entire belief of Amsterdam being the hot spot of place to go partying, to get the, you know... Your smoke weed. To smoke weed, yeah. Smoke weed. Get the edibles, <laughs> go see the museums... For a normal person living in the Netherlands, you don't want that. That's not where you want to be. It's a tourist hotspot of the entire country. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Helena, what do you think about that? Well, I would def- I would like to say that, you know, we're living in a nation that has more bikes than people. <laughs> and, and when you have a bike culture like that, you just can't have hundreds of people running around who don't know the system where bikes are they go be- uh, before everything before people who are walking on the street before people who are driving cars but like so, you know that's that's a very amsterdam thing i haven't felt that like anywhere else in the netherlands where like you know the 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 thing that was so shocking for me about amsterdam and i'm going to just backtrack here for five you know for just a minute um my first visit to the Netherlands, I was a tourist. Mm-hmm. I, I went to Amsterdam for a couple of days and, you know, being a tourist, you know, I thought uh, I had seen the Netherlands um, in Amsterdam. And uh, it was only later that I actually started to live in the Netherlands that I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this place is entirely different <laughs> from what I had imagined. Because when I was in Amsterdam as a tourist, I almost got run over a couple of times by bikes and now it really annoys me to go to Amsterdam. Well, now Corona is different, but like, you know, under normal circumstances, if I go to Amsterdam, I, I just get a little annoyed because like all the bikers, they feel like they own the road. Yeah. But I haven't felt like that in The Hague or in, in, in other cities in the Netherlands. So I feel like that angry bike thing, mm. r- the, the bike rage <laughs> that's that's very much an Amsterdam thing. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people sort of look at Amsterdam as like the city for weed and the uh, red light district. By the way, have you guys, uh, when did you go to red light district or have you been to the red light district? Oh, I went with my best gay friend. He introduced me to everything, but we went during the day and just to, I don't know why, to see me na- to- <laughs> <laughs> to like to see just naked people. Um, during the day, it just seemed a bit more creepy than <laughs> <laughs> at night. I yeah. went there at night. <laughs> I wanted to get the full experience. Was it any less creepy at night than it was during the day? Well, there were more tourists, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was more creepy, but just walking down with the actual lights being red, mm. it was... Literally what you imagine it to be. Quite literally. Did you know that there's actually a church in the red light district? One of the oldest ones in Amsterdam, I believe. We what? Yeah. It's a huge church. Also, there are, it's much different than, I think, what outsiders would expect. There are schools. There are, like, kindergartens. It's it's a normal part of town, just there that there are a couple of windows with some naked people. <laughs> They're not a couple not of windows. <laughs> No way. See, now I want to go to Amsterdam to see see this again. Let's go explore, Ugna. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
Can, can we please go to like a bar before that? Um, bars are closed, remember? Coffee shops are open. Just saying. They're only open for... Te- <laughs> oh, by the way, just uh, just for anyone who doesn't live in the Netherlands, coffee shop is not where you get coffee. It's where you get the muffins. <laughs> <laughs> and your cookies. <laughs> and the good old Mary J. Yeah. Comes in... Uh, yeah, I think you can buy joints, right? Just like... just. Pre-roll joints? Yeah, they do that for the. I think for the tourists mainly. <laughs> oh, they do that in the Hague as well. Yeah, but the Hague also has tourists. But most, uh. like that's the interesting thing. I think I've gone mm, to coffee shops more with internationals than like Dutchies because they seem like they're already over it. For them, it was exciting when they were like fifteen and it was illegal. And once they turn eighteen, they're like, "Oh, this is not fun anymore." So, was mm. it excited for you when you first came to the Netherlands? Um. Not particularly. Like, it's it's a big part of student culture, I believe, especially with international students. But it wasn't like, wow, I need to get some straight away. Mm. You know what I mean? Also, yeah. because when you just come here, a lot of people also offer to you immediately. It's just, it's mm. it's it's available everywhere. So I feel like you you don't feel that pressured, especially when you know you're going to live here for four years. Or oh, I need to try this right away because I don't know when else, you know, I'm going to get a chance to. It's much more relaxed. See, here's what I mean by ha- saying a popularity contest. I was never offered a J. I did try it at some point, but I was never just straight up offered it when I first came here. Wasn't popular in school, wasn't popular in university. Outcast. <laughs> okay, no, but to that we have to say, I think being popular in our university wasn't necessarily a good thing. Oh, no. No. We went to school with people who were like, I'm going to be a rap star. Oh, yes. <laughs> good yes. thing that you're studying then. <laughs> uh, hey, I wanted to be a rap star. And I'm where not- did that lead you? <laughs> I learned audio editing. And that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but don't get, me, don't get me wrong. I think it's good to dream. Especially in uh, this world, in this university. I think it gave us a lot of opportunities. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, I met you through this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think what was the best thing about how our I guess curriculum was set up is that we were able to work with companies from from the beginning I think on my second it was my very second day um by the way I am not comfortable talking in front of microphone or in front of people and I really pushed myself there um, our school was holding these peace talks kind of like TED talks a bit more compromise Mm -hmm. so if you had a story to tell about peace um you could do it and Mm -hmm. i thought what a great way to basically put my foot down and you know we're in an industry where connections and kind of you need to be visible is i guess what i'm trying to say and i I, and i did that peace talk and it opened so many doors um, for me i started presenting with our director in front of you know prospective students Mm. um uh, I, I did a KPN challenge where we basically designed an interactive TV format. So we went to the school, I would say, for the a lot of practical experiences more than, you know, scientific uh, scientific background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's an applied science university. Yeah. <laughs> and still we're writing a thesis. 
Very much so. Let me hear the rage, Ukna. Let me hear it. <laughs> the range of writing a thesis. The range or the rage? The rage. <laughs> both. <laughs> Let me hear about the both. range of rage. <laughs> it's like we have to release a professionally written paper without having the experience of writing papers. It's a trial and error experience. It's a trial and error experience together with trying to appeal to your lecturers. So anybody listening from this school... Please just pass me. I want to pass. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, working with companies. I wonder what kind of p- companies you guys started to work with. Oh. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to mention names. Because <laughs> the names aren't sponsoring us. Because the names are not sponsoring us. And um, I personally had a, go- a lot of um, interesting experience with different companies. I have been in... Um, settings where they weren't um let's say university friendly mm-hmm. um again not universities fault in any way just you know the people who are running the company mm-hmm. weren't prepared to take in students um but i've been also exposed to many uh opportunities like to network and uh work and see how the entire creation process Mm -hmm. happens like from up close wouldn't you agree well i think i went a bit of a different route than you because that kpn challenge i i mentioned um so i started the study with this kind of dream to become a television producer i'm i'm such a netflix slave it's 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 sad (laughs) wait i'm sorry did you just say netflix slave i'm a netflix slave is that an actual phrase that is i i've I've heard that before. Oh, my. If it wasn't before, it is now. Netflix slave. Netflix. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was my dream to um, become maybe a script writer or produce television series. And in that challenge, um, the company basically said we invested so much money into television and you are, um, especially your age group, isn't attracted to that anymore. We're losing against on demand. What can we do? And a light bulb went off. And I, I thought, wow, that that ship had sailed. You need to find something new. So I got into events. I um, did a lot of events for school, like, you know, the big introduction week um, is, I guess, the biggest one. And that helped me expand into other industries like the blockchain community, which I um, helped grow in the Netherlands. Um, but it was interesting to be in an environment like that for for managing and organizing events. And people came to you and were so interested because I stood out. I'm not going to lie. It was mostly, you know, for the old men. And then they were very interested in what I was doing there and, you know, why what I had to do with blockchain, which was nothing at that point. A woman <laughs> in blockchain? Yeah. So wait, you went from aiming to become that um, TV producer to getting your dreams crushed to then integrating in a society of... Well, I think you, Ali or you and one of your recent podcasts said it really well. We're in the media industry and it's it's always you, you just have to adapt and you have to change yeah. and you have to readjust. And I, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I was doing. I I saw that, you know, most opportunities that were opening up for me were in, in events and especially HR, um, which I um, grew into because I just have a nat- natural lack for that mm. um, more than, you know, I would say you with designing. So yeah. 
yeah, I guess just different opportunities presented um, themselves for us and we took what we could get. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that's the beauty of seeking any kind of um, education. Uh, you get in there wanting to do a completely different thing. For example, for me, I grew up in event industry and initially I thought I might be a good event manager but then even though I maybe would be a good event manager I just grew tired of it uh, the events the event industry is something you you grow tired of so quickly because yeah. even if you do your job perfectly then just everything is going smoothly you always have to stay three steps ahead you have to react so spontaneously yeah. and it tires you out I did 48 hour events and afterwards I just I wanted to curl up for, for days and not do anything and it's just not exactly. a very sustainable way of living I would say it's really interesting to catch your foot and learn a lot of new things but it's also nice to to leave it for greener pastures <laughs> I think it's a good uh, skill to have to be able to organize events you know it comes in handy in almost every single industry yeah but it's not something that I per se want to do with my life. No, no. And uh, that's like where I was exposed to different media channels. And uh, like you, I was interested in TV, mm -hmm. but I couldn't get on to that. And I also noticed that it was at least presented to us as a dying industry, more or less. But you did actually your internship for a television production, didn't you? No, I did it in film. Oh, you did it in film? I did a film... Uh, internship okay. and uh, there I realized that I think film isn't for me either you really have to have the drive for film industry mm -hmm. if you want to survive in it because it's uh, growth and if you have the chance and you love what you do you're gonna excel in it mm. but if you're me who um, figured out that this is not a place for myself um, you shouldn't, I would say, stick with it. It's, you know, slightly yeah. different environment I and different pressures. I did my internship actually in Malaysia and um, I was a business development, uh, business development, can't even pronounce right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much of a joke it was. No, I'm kidding. At business development, and then I moved to German market manager, and then a very European market manager, European internship coordinator. It was a startup. It was, I, I basically. So you helped. had a lot of career progression. Uh, yeah, I, I think I just I, I, I thrive on taking on new challenges. Six months in, you would have been a co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ali, you have experience with that, don't you? I'm sorry? You have experience with co-founding startups, don't you? I, I do have experience with that. And uh, what I absolutely love about um, about starting your own business is that you get to call yourself the CEO. And <laughs> <laughs> so I've sort of, uh, I'm sort of done with all those titles, the C-level titles. On, on, you know, it's... it's um, it's a very different mindset within the startup ecosystem. But um, I, I do want to hear about your experience in Malaysia because, you know, I, uh, I lived in Malaysia for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, I, I will not forget um, the moment I stepped out in Kuala Lumpur Airport and it was so humid and it was so warm. <laughs> and, you know... Um, 
I wanted to be respectful. I had never been to Malaysia. I knew it was a majority Muslim uh, country. So I just wanted to be respectful. So I was covered up. Yeah. Wait, um, so you, that was your first time going to Asia? It was, yes. And you said you were covered up as in like, as in hijab covered no. up? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> did you guys like, did you look? Like, did you put a headscarf on or something? I, okay, I'm not gonna lie. I did have a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> and I know how ridiculous that sounds to anybody who's been to Malaysia. <laughs> but come on, cut me a break. I really just wanted to be respectful. And I, I didn't know what, what, what was waiting for me. Um... So, yeah, I tore off my clothes like the instant I got out and I saw these other tourists. <laughs> and people not, they didn't seem to be offended. That's where I'm going to leave it. And, um, yeah, I, I was working the very next day. My boss called me into the office. So I think within that day, I found um, I found a place to live, which was crazy. But you, do you know those service apartments building? Yep. And there are so many of them, and so many of them are empty. Um, how, real estate is a very interesting. It's the complete right? opposite of the Netherlands. It is. Um, you have so many houses that are just empty, and it always baffled me when I was driving yeah. through a highway and there's there are two hundred houses on the side of the highway, and I'm thinking, who lives here? No one does. Why are these things built? Yeah. Um, people have been waiting for the property market to crash in Malaysia for mm. years now. It still hasn't. It's amazing it hasn't. Mm. But um, I'm, je- I'm just not surprised that you found a place within a day. <laughs> Normally, people find a place before they even get there. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I wanted to ask as well. As an advocate for, you know, safety and traveling. Yeah. Did you go there with no intention? Like, What? Well, I really... Okay, so we had the ability to go to study abroad, um, mm-hmm. which I didn't take. I was I just didn't find our partner universities that interesting mm-hmm. um, for my personal preference. And then I, I knew I wanted to get experience from Asia. I'm really, mm-hmm. I, I really like wanted to get more insight on cross-cultural communication, especially between Europeans and Asians. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't group them in that way. But I wanted to have that, that background. And I the only thing I knew about Malaysia that was melting pot of diversity of different cultures the kind of the same way that the netherlands is for europe i would say hmm that is a very interesting way of looking at it because i i feel like that in the netherlands versus germany um just because of maybe less space and people being more crowded and like smushed together, um, that yeah, you just you can get a Suriname, um, like you can just get a, a sandwich in one corner, like Chinese food uh, on the other, and you know, bitter ballen on the next. It's just it's it's a bit more different. No, actually, that's actually a very interesting point because um, you know, in Malaysia, a lot of people speak English. Um, I mean, not not incredibly well but um a lot of people that you know as far as like taxi drivers and all they speak english and that's because of how diverse the country is with like three different languages with the three ethnicities that are that are prominent in malaysia but then everybody sort of communicates in english yeah and the netherlands is somewhat the same in that sense the language of business is quite you know everybody speaks english here 
Not um, only that, I feel like if you'd go to like in a supermarket and would try to speak Dutch, they would say, oh, please, can we just, just talk please, English? I don't have yeah. time. Like, it's really nice that you try, but just let's make it easier for everybody. I think um, I can um, adjust to that. Um, whenever I would, I hear a Dutch person saying, my English is not that good. I laugh. I, ju- I just look at them like, you have you're no fine, idea. honey. You're good. <laughs> like, trust me on this one. You speak English very nicely. At least, you know, you speak the language. But I've made that op- observation that in, in countries where the television, you know, isn't dubbed. So, you know, the German TV market is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Germans almost... I would say never have to watch anything in English. Everything is translated. And the Dutch are very used to watching with subtitles. So are the Scandinavians. Um, I believe that also is a big contributing factor that they're just more used to it. Oh, definitely. That's, I mean, that's like how I learn English as well. It's through cartoons and then YouTube. Mm -hmm. It was never through the shows I watched in the native language. No, I can totally relate to that because uh, I, <laughs> I I learned English from rap and uh, <laughs> professional. Like I, I I used to um, because I studied English in Iran, but I didn't really have a chance to practice it. So uh, what I used to do is is uh, look at the lyrics of all of Eminem songs actually. <laughs> And uh, try to translate them so I can understand it. So I actually learned a lot from rap and professional wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Michael Cole. You taught me English. (laughs) That's an interesting relation. That's. (laughs) No, I I totally uh, sort of I I can see your point about how the Netherlands is somewhat the Malaysia of Europe, or Malaysia is the Netherlands of asia but i i just feel like when there's so many cultures you know clashing together it almost becomes this home for misfits i feel like Mm. anybody could come actually go to malaysia or the netherlands and feel at home in one sense or another of course malaysia is going to be a complete culture shock to anybody who's never been to asia uh that was definitely the case for me um but it's it's it brings this kind of just energy I've never been in, in, in like any other place that I can compare to the two. Have I been surrounded by so many passionate people? And mm. I have to say, though, people might not know Kuala Lumpur might be the biggest startup hub in Asia. Is that true, Ellen? Um, it's maybe next to Singapore. I mean, I'm not pretty, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I know that the startup scene is pretty big. In Kuala Lumpur. But you also have to know it's super easy to start a company there. I mean, I almost did. I think almost everybody does when they're there. <laughs> <laughs> Tax benefits. <laughs> um, um, well, it's actually even easier to open a business in Singapore. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as yeah, the sort of the ease can, of business is concerned, Singapore is even higher than Malaysia. If you can afford to live there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, so so let's just wrap it up about Malaysia and uh, come back to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, any final thoughts on like sort of your experience in Malaysia? Um, it was maybe the first place I've ever been to where I actually felt like being a German was was fantastic. Like they're like, oh, wow, German. <laughs> 
quality cars. Why are you living in the Netherlands with cows and cheese? Like that's <laughs> that's that a very okay. accurate description of the Netherlands. <laughs> that's what their perception was. No, they're um, they were very happy. Like I remember also driving through Thailand, and there was a oh, this is a story might get me in trouble. <laughs> no, um, and there was a police control, and I didn't have an international driver's license, and uh, they just asked me, "Oh, where are you from? Germany? Oh, good, good, good football team." You can you can go on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what you guys are basically saying is that the Netherlands and Malaysia are pretty similar in the cultural aspect or like shall I say little to no existence of a cultural aspect? No, I would say Oh yeah, please go ahead because, yeah. Well, maybe I would say that it's kind of this mindset of because everybody's different, just just try to not fit in, but don't be an asshole. Like you can do your thing. There's there's not really a norm to try to fit into, mm. which is which is great. Um, so I think it's it's more about the mindset than cultural integration, because I don't really think you can compare the two on that level. No, the cultures are very different. Um, but I've always sort of referred to, you know, to me, Malaysia has always been a soup. Yeah. <laughs> Whether, <A> minestrona. It, <laughs> Whether it sort of concerns the accent or, or culture and all of that, Malaysia is so diverse and multicultural. Mm. And the Netherlands is also sort of, it has the same trait. With mm. um, with different sort of Caribbean culture, Caribbean food, mm. and then you have a lot of hints of the Middle East, and you have hints of Asia, then you have hints of Europe. It's you get a lot of different experiences in both countries, mm. um, but obviously widely different experiences. You you can't compare the two, <laughs> but definitely. I can see how the Netherlands is somewhat of a soup in its own right. So what is it exactly that um, like you appreciate most about the country? You know, you've mm. lived in, uh, both of you actually lived in Malaysia and you lived in the Netherlands. You've seen the similarities, you've seen the differences. But do you like in any way um, regret coming here or not at all? No, no. Because I think everything kind of led up to this point. Um, I, you know, when I was going to Spain or when I was going to Malaysia, I'd always had a very clear start and a very clear end. So that kind of kept me from, you know, building long-lasting relationships or maybe even putting effort into that because I'd be too afraid to lose to lose these people again but i was also not at a point where i was you know kind of satisfied where mm -hmm. where with i was you know at that point in my life and in the netherlands sudden i i don't know it's like i said before it's it felt like coming home things falling into place and having that ability to still change and adapt and try out new things but in a more controlled setting and not just you know keep running away keep chasing something mm -hmm. i feel like i i I'm not chasing something anymore. I found the right place. There are so many interesting people here. Um, and I feel like this is the place to 
that you know offers you so many more opportunities to try out new things um, and if you're an in-betweener like us in between places and jobs and industries this is the place to be I mean I've lived in a lot of different places mm. you know um, and in most well in every other place I have felt like a foreigner mm -hmm. and not just that but I've been yeah. treated as a foreigner yeah you know in Malaysia it you know, every year I apply for a visa in the UK it was very interesting because I had to register with the police mm. because of where I'm from. Um, within 14 days of arrival within the UK, I had to register with the police and tell them where I live. Um, and if I move for anything, anytime I think longer than 14 days or something like that, I had to inform them again. Mm. So, you know, it was just like, and even in Laos as well, you know, there was always these sort of stuff that I couldn't do or stuff that I had to do extra because I was a foreigner. But then coming to the Netherlands, you know, I, I could open a bank account right away, which, by the way, mm -hmm. was quite troublesome in some other countries. Um, in, you know, in the Netherlands, I could open a company very easily, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, it, while it was quite a bit of uh, trouble in in other places, so I never felt I would I wouldn't say racism, but sort of institutional difference um, yeah. between a foreigner and a local in in the Netherlands, um, as I felt in different places. So the Netherlands definitely stands out as probably the only place that I that I've lived in that. You know where where I don't feel like a foreigner that I that I actually feel accepted and I, you know, I can be me, mm. um, and I don't have to go through extra bureaucracy just because I'm not born here. Mm. So that's definitely the thing. Uh, the thing that I appreciate the most about the Netherlands, Ugna, you've lived here for four years now. Four years now, yes. Yeah. What is it that uh, that's kept you going here for four years? Through the weather and the food. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, um, it's the diversity in the country. Um, I truly believe that the Netherlands is what you make it to be. Mm. Yeah. It's if you're surrounded by the right amount of people and the right people in general, it's a very nice place to develop your life. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you're out of place, there are so many opportunities provided um, for you to find your place in the society. Um, I think in general, society in the Netherlands as a whole is not the traditional society as in other countries. It's very much a combination of many societies, yeah. as I like to call them. Hmm. It's quite literally something uh, unique, something completely non-judgmental, something completely all-accepting and all-inclusive. Um, yeah, just... Yeah, and I think like sort of uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I found very interesting about the Netherlands is uh, I but I think it was back in 2017 mm -hmm. that uh, they did a survey and about 50% of the population they identified as atheists. 
Mm. Yeah. Which uh, which is quite fascinating, especially uh, especially in Europe. Um, w- why why in Europe? Well, like you know, to me, you're you know, when you go around European countries, you see a lot of Catholic churches. Yeah. Right. Um, or Protestant. Or Protestant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So in in that sense, I I've you know I think. That's very fascinating about the Netherlands, how it's somewhat very different uh, culturally from the rest of Europe. I think you're bringing up a good point because that ties in with what we were talking about before, mm-hmm. where I think I have to take it back. American society isn't really prude, but it is much more influenced by religion. Yes. Than oh, yes. Almost, yeah, like the the European countries that we are from or we have lived in. Um. Because, I mean, Germany has a pretty big percentage of, you know, Christians and um, just many religions um, mm-hmm. at this point. But it is not, we, we have, a, we're very strict on the separation of church and state, you know? Yeah. And I think the Netherlands is even, even a step further. Yep. Because you can, li- you can literally ask anybody about well, at least maybe the students that we've encountered about, you know, religion, um, which is something you couldn't do in the States often. Yeah, and I mean, in general, you know, for example, um, I had an interaction. So one of the things that in the Netherlands really baffled me mm-hmm. a little bit was my interactions with uh, Prince Constantine. Oh, wait, have you met him as well? This is, uh, oh my God, I can't believe you're bringing this up, but go first. Well, okay, so Prince Constantine, he is, uh, say, the special envoy of the royal family who is sort of leading the Dutch um, advancement through technology and yeah, startups. Yeah, innovation. Uh, he's yeah. big in the blockchain community. This is how I got to know him as well. Um, also big in real estate, I think. I have no I idea. Um, I've, I've only met bit. him like sort of uh, in startup events. So yeah. the first time I met him was we were hosting an event at our co-working space. Um, and he was the sort of guest speaker. And, you know, he just arrived. And this is what I loved so much about it. You know, somebody told me, um, Ali, could you go and get the prince from downstairs? <gasps> kidding somebody said that to me as well okay for people who don't know prince constantine he's not just part of the royal family he's the king's brother and the dutch royal family are very down to earth they don't have bodyguards that keep i'm i'm sure they do but they don't have bodyguards that are next to them for the entire time that means they walk into entrances like everybody else if they show their ticket can you imagine this is actually crazy and then my job for, in a blockchain event, I'm not kidding, was to watch his food just in case <laughs> somebody would try to poison it. Now, this is not a job that I think a 21-year-old <laughs> like should do. Um, no, but super nice guy to talk to. No, he was, he was actually, I think I've met him, I think, three times or something like that. And, you know, the first time I was completely baffled because... <laughs> You know, the prince finished his speech and then he just walked right out. <laughs> he just went out. And I'm just the whole time, I'm just thinking, where, where's his, where's his security detail? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was completely baffled. And then the uh, other time I met him, which was quite memorable, was in Lisbon. 
Uh, oh. We were there as part of the uh, Web Summit program. We were we were sort of uh, sponsored by the city of The Hague to go to Web Summit uh, as one of the startups. Um, and he was there at the at the Holland Corner. Yeah. And he just showed up there, just chill, having a drink with us. <laughs> and Charles and I, because that day uh, Ajax was playing Benfica. And a lot of us were going to go watch that match uh, mm-hmm. that night. And we just asked him, so are you planning to just like go to the match? I was like, oh yeah, I cannot wait to get out of this whole business thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that kind of like, you know, the, the royal family sort of sets the mood and I think really exemplifies how chill and down to earth uh, the Dutch people are uh, culturally. I just want to bring that up because the only time where I really felt like I got to experience Dutch culture completely as an outsider was I think my first King's Day experience. (laughs) 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 Can you relate, Ali? Um, The thing is, the reason why I love is uh, one of my best friends, she was here for a King's Day. She, She decided to come here from Italy on King's Day and she ended up losing her wallet in Amsterdam. Ooh. So for those who don't know, King's Days were celebrating the king's birthday and um, everybody dresses up in orange, everybody goes out on the streets and it's just a big party. To clarify, uh, the color orange is uh, the royal color in the Netherlands and the national color as well. Uh, It's a very interesting day because it does mark the birth of uh, King Willem Alexander. Yeah. Until the abdication of Queen Beatrix in yeah. 2013. Um, so it's it's kind of like the Queen's Day. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a weird thing. I, I don't fully <laughs> understand it. I need someone to explain this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter? It's just an excuse for everybody to have a big party, to dress up in On orange, a color that nobody normally wears in the Netherlands. We like our grays and dark blues and blacks and dark and yeah. <laughs> so let's all get dressed up in orange. Let's all get a bit wasted and have a good time. I yeah. think I, to bring it back, um, also now during Corona and everything, the Dutch are still the best in figuring out what is the sweet point like what is necessary and how can we still have fun (laughs) completely agree with that one um i think for everybody looking for a place to just have fun the netherlands is so perfect but for everybody looking for uh going Sort of even for a longer term commitment. I think this is also a place to consider. No, definitely. Definitely. All right. Um, let's get final thoughts. Final if, thoughts. Helena. Yeah. If you are to summarize the Netherlands Oof. in one sentence. Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> all right. I'm going to buy you some time uh, as you're thinking about your one sentence. Uh, <laughs> to describe the Netherlands. I I'm don't done. Know why. I'm done this buying is... you time. <laughs> <laughs> this is not summarizing the Netherlands at all. But I don't know how I've, how I've lived here now almost four years and still have not bought a proper bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh and this is not even from moving around that much, but 
other priorities, living costs are high. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't bought a proper bed in the Netherlands? No, I I tried out different things. I tried to be smart. <laughs> I listened to a German friend of mine where she was like, "You can buy these beds that you can pull out, like." Is it called a warp? Like, you know, a bee warp or something like that? And um, it didn't turn out great. It <laughs> cannot take a lot of movement. It, it's not very sturdy. Um, Ugna, what do you think? Netherlands in one sentence. Uh, give me a second. One second given. I feel like more like it's uh, kind of five seconds. Give me a second. Another second given. Should I pour you another glass of whiskey? Yes, please. Alrighty, uh, I'm coming over with whiskey. I really don't want any more whiskey. Um, <gasps> and you say my comment was like, bad about rum? I'd say like Jennifer. Like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> Jennifer! <laughs> Who's Jennifer? <laughs> okay, one sentence. The Netherlands in one sentence. Um, orange. This is a perfect explanation of the Netherlands. It's it's like the misfits of the color, but very much fits. You know, it stands out, but it's a misfit. Mm. So like orange, like that. Yeah. Let's put Ali on the spot. Ali, Netherlands, one sentence. Let's go. One sentence. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, people from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Please pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but in all honesty, I would say um, the place that I have felt welcomed the most anywhere else in the world, like compared mm. to anywhere else. Um, as I said, I haven't felt the sort of institutional mechanism that's, you know, making distinction between foreigners and locals. And I think that's what I appreciate the most. And that, to me, is the Netherlands. The place where you can come from all kinds of backgrounds, from whatever religion, whatever belief you have. Yeah. And you're still accepted, and you're still welcome as a part of society. Yeah. Friends, that, uh, let's bring that to the, uh, as the uh, end of the Whiskey Hour podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. For joining yeah. us. Thank you, Helena, for being <laughs> our first guest. And uh, oh. did we turn, in, turn you into a whiskey drinker now? Of course. Yay. But also into a correspondent. <laughs> and that is a title that I cherish and we'll come back to. So, Helena, whiskey or rum? Whiskey, all the way. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs>